0: Heavenly Father, uh, we, we do pray that you would help us to understand your, your word this evening, um, that we might grow in our knowledge and understanding of the grace and the love that you have shown us in your Son, Jesus. Amen. Nobody likes a cheat. Uh, there is nothing worse than when people cheat, uh, whether you're playing cards or a board game with somebody and they, you know, they hide their cards away or they somehow break uh, one of the board game rules, uh, we, we don't like that, um, or who likes athletes who take performance enhancing drugs uh, to get a competitive advantage, or perhaps we think of financial scammers uh, who prey on innocent people to take their money. No, we, we don't like cheaters, uh, and we want cheaters to get their comeuppance. Now, comeuppance, uh, not only is that uh, really an enjoyable word to say, comeuppance, uh, but it conveys something that we desire. See, to get your comeuppance is when you receive the punishment or fate that you deserve. Uh, and it's a normal desire in us, isn't it? To want to see wrong. uh, wrongdoers get punished and get what is coming to them. Uh, we feel a sense of moral outrage and injustice. And we feel a sense of vindication, of satisfaction when justice is done and people are held to account. So when that person who's cheating in the board game you know, gets revealed they've been cheating, uh, they get publicly shamed and they lose. Or when the athlete like um, Sun Yang, uh, who was the Chinese Olympic gold medalist, um, it was, he's been banned uh, for using performance-enhancing drugs for eight years. There's a sense of vindication there. Or perhaps when the, the financial scammers, they, they face criminal uh, charges and in big fines uh, for what they've done. Now, we, we want wrongdoers to get what is coming. Uh, but sometimes those who do wrong, they, they get away with it. Uh, there have been cruel dictators um, who've died peacefully in their sleep without being held to account. Uh, apparently, scams in Australia cost uh, half a billion dollars uh, to Australians a year. Uh, now, some of these scammers, they'll, they'll get caught and prosecuted, but others, they probably get away with it. Um, they never get found out. And so we wrestle with this, this idea of comeuppance. Uh, now, as Christians, we know that there is a God uh, who will one day call all people to account. Uh, But as we look at this passage um, this evening, I think we're forced to wrestle uh, with this idea of comeuppance a little bit more because we see a bunch of uh, undeserving people, uh, particularly an undeserving person, Jacob, getting far better than what they deserve. And so we ask, does God let cheetahs prosper and and why? Uh, Is it fair for him to bless the unworthy? And so we've been going through uh, the book of Genesis and looking at the lives of the patriarchs. Uh, And to me, I don't know about you, to me it's felt like we've been watching uh, an episode of a reality television, uh, like, you know, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Not that I've watched it, but I've heard it's full of drama. Um, But amidst the, you know, the chaos of these situations where everyone is, you know, doing some pretty nasty things, uh, and these situations that that seem unresolvable, uh, God is the hero, isn't it? Isn't he? Um, As Adam reminded us earlier, God is the faithful one. Uh, He is faithful to Abraham and to the promises that he has made. Now, the drama that occurs uh, in chapter 27, uh, it centers around uh, the great promise uh, that God made to Abraham. Uh, you might remember of land, of descendants, um, that through Abraham's line, the whole world would be blessed. Uh, with these promises, Abraham was considered God's friend. And at this point um, in the Bible, uh, the promise or the blessing uh, it could actually be passed down. So we, we, we saw last week that it was passed from Abraham to Isaac who would then be the carrier and the mediator of the promise. Well, tonight we see that Isaac, he's grown older, uh, and he's going to die at some point. Uh, and it's time for him to pass on uh, the blessing to the one who will inherit the promise. Now, the issue is that Isaac has twins. He's got, he's got two boys. Uh, and it seems that only one of them could receive the covenant blessing. Now, you've got Jacob and Esau. Uh, and I think for the ancient audience reading this, it would have been natural to assume that you know Esau is the ideal choice. You know he's the oldest son. Uh, he's also portrayed as a you know a pretty uh, appealing candidate from a cultural perspective of back then. You know he's rugged, he's tough, he's a hunter. Uh, whereas Jacob, he's more he's more of a homebody. It may may seem like that he should have been the God's choice, and yet uh, we see that there are three complicating factors. Uh, The first of which you may remember from last week back in chapter 25 that God told Rebekah while she was pregnant with the twins uh, that the the two sons would be the heads of two nations, but the younger son would rule over the older son. It was going to be Jacob that was going to inherit the promise. Uh, And It's a reminder here that God, he doesn't work according to to human wisdom, but his own purposes, as we'll see. Uh, The second complicating factor uh, is that there was favouritism on the part of the parents? Uh, we're told uh, that Esau he favoured, um, sorry, Isaac favoured Esau because he was a, a hunter and brought him game, uh, whereas Jacob uh, was favoured by Rebecca. Now this had, uh, I'm sure, some pretty big consequences in, in fueling the hostility that we see between the two brothers. Uh, it's a quite an unhealthy family dynamic that's going on here, uh, and it's a good reminder for us who are parents. Uh, how unwise it is uh, to favoritize um, or show favoritism to a particular child uh, for whatever reason. And finally, um, there was the episode, the one with the soup, where Esau, uh, very, very, very short-sighted Esau, he sells his birthright, his special inheritance as the firstborn to Jacob for a bowl of soup. Uh, it's madness. It's madness. Uh, Now, Jacob, he's a bit of a schemer. His name means uh, to deceive. And he uses his brother's tendency to think in the moment uh, and pulls off one of the most lopsided trades uh, of all time. Now, Esau, I don't think he actually grasps uh, the gravity of what he's done. But God saw um, that Esau had despised his birthright. That's what he says uh, in 25 verse 6. Uh, And Hebrews 12 uh, makes it clear that Esau, by giving up his inheritance rights as the firstborn, had also given up the blessing. So we're going to see this all come to the fore. Uh, so the stage is set uh, for the great kerfuffle uh, of chapter 27, where everyone ends up looking pretty bad. Um, and we see that all participants uh, are at fault. Uh, there's, there's scheming, there's lying, and there's betrayal that would make uh, the, cat, the, well, the people uh, in the keeping up with the Kardashians blush. Uh, we, we see there are no heroes uh, in this scenario. And we'll see why this is. It begins with Isaac calling Esau uh, to himself and telling him in verse 4 that he plans to give Esau the blessing before he dies. Now, there's already something a little bit shifty going on at this point, uh, because normally when a father would issue the blessings to his sons, he would call all the sons in and do it at once. But it seems like Isaac, he wants to give his blessing privately uh, without Jacob or Rebecca around. Uh, now, we aren't told if Isaac knew that Esau had foolishly sold his birthright, uh, he probably would have known that God had promised that Jacob would be the greater son. And so it's a bit, it's a bit strange that he's doing this. Um, and the fact that Isaac uh, tells his son that he'll only bless him after uh, he gets a meal, I think it shows his priorities, that he's thinking with his stomach. Uh, And Esau's hunting is the reason that he favours him. And there's something of a spiritual blindness going on uh, in addition to the physical blindness. Uh, Because it seems like Isaac, even though he knows what God has promised, he's trying to uh, change it. He's trying to give the promise to Esau, the blessing to Esau instead and deviate from what God had said would happen. And I think we shouldn't think much of Esau either. Uh, He had no intention of reminding his dad of the oath that he had made to Jacob. He probably thought, well, who's going to stop me? I've got my dad on my side. Um, so you've got Isaac, you've got Esau, they've got their little scheme. Uh, unfortunately for their plans, uh, Rebecca had been listening in. Now, Rebekah, uh, she knew uh, that God had promised that Jacob would be the one uh, who would be the greater son. Uh, and she's likely pretty miffed at uh, what Isaac is doing here. And she's also pretty crafty uh, because rather than going up and confronting Isaac, she decides to use this whole situation to her advantage to make sure that Jacob gets the blessing, and it's almost a comical plan when you when you look at it. Look at it, isn't it? You know, disguising Jacob with, with goat skins and borrowing Esau's clothes. Um, yeah, might I say a side point? Esau must have been a very very hairy man. Like I'm a, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty hairy guy, but um, I don't think my hands feel like goat skins. Anyway, that point aside, uh, this was all to deceive Isaac to deceive and fool his senses. So we can ask, did Rebecca do the right thing here? Well, she probably could have justified it to herself. Or, you know, Is this not what God has promised? And we see in verse 13 that she's willing to bear the consequences. Uh, however, like many of the other uh, people in Genesis, uh, Rebecca makes the mistake of trying to fulfill God's promises through her own wisdom, uh, which in this case involves using some pretty um, deplorable means. Uh, it's like trying to do electrical work on your house when you don't have any qualifications or training uh, in that area. I mean, no matter how, you know, no matter how uh, good your intentions are, uh, it's not going to end well. You really need to wait for the qualified electrician to come and fix the problem for you. And so Rebecca, she should have waited patiently on the Lord. She should have trusted that God, uh, as always, would accomplish what he had promised on his own terms. But she doesn't. And I think we get a demonstration here of, um, I guess, the fear-frustrating faith and then the desperation that leads to some pretty selfish actions. Uh, We've kind of seen, this, you know, seen that going on this week, haven't we, with the kind of coronavirus stuff and people going crazy about toilet paper and um, it's madness. Um, but it's true for us as well, I think, that sometimes our self-interest and our fear can lead us uh, into some unsavory actions. But what about Jacob? How should we feel about Jacob? Well... Jacob, it's pretty telling that he never even questions the morality of his mother's plan. Uh, His only concern, his only hesitation is whether it will actually work. He doesn't want to get caught. And while Jacob's uh, perhaps a a redeeming thing about him is he he knows the value of the promise and he desires it. Uh, But it's a problem that he's also willing to do whatever it takes to get it, Uh, which here includes deceiving his own father. Uh, and trying to pull the wool, or should I say the goat skin, uh, over Isaac's eyes. Sorry, bad joke. Um, but we see in, in this account uh, to his father, he, he continually, continually lies. Um, I mean, he's lying by the fact that he's dressed up as his brother. Um, but he also lies there in verse 19 and, and elsewhere, uh, declaring that he is in fact Esau. Uh, this is it's comical, but it's, it's actually quite awful. We're not supposed to think much of Jacob here. Uh, this trickery shows him to be a conniving little snake. Um, and it shows us that the ends, they don't justify the means. Uh, God doesn't only care about what we're trying to do or pursue, but actually the way we do it. And so as we, as we read this account, you might have noticed it's quite, um, it's quite slow-paced, isn't it? Quite, kind of builds intention and drama. And I think we're meant to wonder, will Isaac detect the ruse? Uh, he's pretty suspicious. Um, He tries to work it out with a number of means, but ultimately, Jacob, he pulls it off. Isaac is deceived. He unwittingly unwittingly blesses Jacob, his youngest son. And if we go there to uh, verse 28, we see the blessing that he gives. He says, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's uh, richness or fatness an abundance of grain and new wine. And we know that by the end of his life, Jacob uh, did become remarkably Uh, prosperous Uh, and we know that the nation of Israel would ultimately inherit the land. Um, Verse 29, may the nations serve you and peoples bow down to you and be lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Uh, Jacob will be superior to his brother and we see that the nation of Israel will be superior uh, to the nation of Edom which is um, Esau's, Esau's line turns into the nation of Edom. And finally, we've got that line there of may those who curse you be cursed and those who blessed you be blessed, uh, which is a direct quote uh, from what God promised to Abraham. So Jacob, he's inherited the covenant promise, but he's done so in a pretty, um, pretty unworthy manner. So in this situation that we look at here, I think we can say that everybody uh, is at fault. And we might ask, well, where is, where is God when all of this happens? Uh, he isn't mentioned as doing or saying anything here. And yet it's clear that his hand is at work, isn't it? While all these people are, you know, they're scrambling over each other and uh, trying to be the ones in control, uh, God is actually sovereignly working to, to uh, orchestrate and fulfill what he has promised, that Jacob would inherit the blessing. Now, does this mean that God approves of what Jacob has done? Well, certainly not. And we're about to see that there are some pretty severe repercussions Uh, for what goes on here so while god is sovereign uh, he can use people's misdeeds uh, we're still responsible for our decisions and yet uh, this is an important point god is so powerful that he can use evil faithless actions uh, and he can turn them to fulfill his own good purposes we're going to see this in a big way later when we look at joseph Uh, but the ultimate example of this is of course the cross where Jesus' enemies, uh, they believed they were they were stopping him, and they committed um, the greatest evil of all, really, you know, crucifying the Son of God. But at the same time, this was fulfilling God's very plan that he had preordained, uh, that Jesus would accomplish salvation for humanity through the cross. And so I think there is a comforting reminder here for us when uh, things from our perspective is just, you know, just chaos, uh, we can't see what God is doing or how God is working. Uh, we, don't, we don't know when the toilet paper is going to come in. But we do know that God is working. And he will work to bring about the good ends that he has promised. And so we then see, we see the fallout of this event. Um, and there is a real cost to this deception. Uh, we see that when it comes to sin, that nobody wins. Uh, this family is torn apart. Uh, First, having a look at Esau, uh, with perfect dramatic timing in verse 30, Esau comes back into the picture, Uh, Jacob slunk away, and to his horror, he realises his blessing has been taken. Uh, And his reaction is one of great despair and indignant anger. He says, isn't he rightfully named Jacob? He's deceived me two times, he's taken my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And Isaac, he maintains that the blessing that he has bestowed on, on Jacob, it can't be taken back. Uh, Esau, he desperately keeps hounding his father uh, for another blessing, a second blessing. Uh, and he uh, receives, when you compare it to what Jacob receives, uh, something that's pretty second-rate. Uh, we're not going to go through it now, but if you go and have a look at it uh, and compare it to Jacob's blessing, you realize it's pretty much the opposite of what Jacob gets. And I think that is to show that it's only when we find ourselves uh, in the promise. Uh, and the blessing of, 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 uh, of Abraham and you know, ultimately Jacob and, and finally Jesus, that is the only way um, we will be friends with God. That, that, that is where we need to be, nowhere else. And so we might feel bad uh, for Esau at this point, as he's pleading with tears with his father. Uh, but it's important to remember that Esau had foolishly given up the blessing. He'd sold his birthright. Uh, he hadn't valued the promise for what it was, uh, even if he later came to regret that decision. Uh, it's important that um, we we understand that we should never trade the promises of God for fleeting worldly pleasures. Uh, for Esau, that was that was food. Now uh, you might think, oh, "What a what a what a fool!" Um, but I think we are liable to do so as well. People will say, "Well, uh, if I can't uh, get sexual gratification uh, in the way that uh, if God doesn't allow that in the way that I want it, well, you know, I'm going to push him away. I don't don't want it. I don't want him." Or on the other hand, if I can't use my, you know, if I have to be generous with my money and I have to use my time uh, for Jesus, well, I don't want to do that. Um, no, it's not worth it. Well, what we're going to see is that the promises we have in Christ are worth it. It is extraordinarily foolish to trade them away. And so Esau's done that. Uh, and in verse 41, we see that rather than uh, going and pursuing reconciliation with his brother or even just, even just leaving justice to God, Esau plots vengeance. He resolves to kill Jacob uh, as soon as Isaac dies and claim the promise for himself. Uh, it's easy to find that when we uh, feel like we've been wronged, uh, that we would desire to uh, repay evil in kind and seek to escalate. Uh, but repaying sin with sin only ever leads to greater devastation. And this deception, it doesn't just cost uh, Esau, it also costs Rebekah and Jacob. Uh, Rebecca hears Esau issuing his threats. And so she goes uh, and warns Jacob in verse 42. Uh, and she realizes that Jacob, he has to leave. He has to flee for his own safety. And now Rebecca is very clever. Uh, and she's able to convince her husband, Isaac, um, without kind of revealing the full truth as to why Jacob should, should leave and go away. She tells him, well, Jacob needs a wife. Not from the surrounding Canaanites uh, who worshipped false gods. Um, and that's what Esau had foolishly done. Uh, but he needs to find a wife from one of our own people. So he needs to go far away to the land of Haran, uh, where uh, my uncle resides. So Rebecca, she does this to protect Jacob, and she thinks that she's just sending her son away uh, until things you know, simmer down. But it turns out that Jacob is gone for years, uh, and it's actually unclear as to whether, uh, whether they ever meet again. And it's quite sad. And then Jacob himself, he bears a cost, doesn't he? Uh, He has to leave his parents. He has to leave uh, the land in which he's living, go to a foreign place all by himself. He has this broken relationship with his brother. And I think what we learn from this incident is that sin is never victimless or free. Uh, There is always a cost. There is always a victim, whether it's ourselves, whether it's others. And sin always involves uh, God, who is the ultimate victim um, of of our sin. And we see that not only uh, is there a victim, there's always a terrible cost and judgment. Sometimes it's in very foreseeable ways. Sometimes it's in ways that are unexpected. Uh, But ultimately, we know that there will be an accounting before the Lord Jesus. Uh, We we will face him. Uh, And if we haven't trusted in him and trusted uh, in what he has done for us and shedding his blood for us, um, we face. We face a reckoning. We face the judgment of God. Um, God does not let um, sinners off the hook. So, there, there are some, some sad consequences uh, to this event. God, uh, but God can actually use uh, even, even events like this to teach valuable lessons to people. And that's what we, that's what we see here um, at the start of, of chapter 28. We see that, firstly, that Isaac, he's been humbled. Uh, he can see clearly now, and he realizes that God's hand has been at work. Uh, he accepts that it was God's will for Jacob to be the greater son, and I think he also has learned that um, it's the Lord's prerogative, and not his, to decide who should inherit the promise. And so we see there in uh, verse 1, he blesses Jacob again, knowingly this time, uh, and confirms uh, the promises of Abraham to Jacob. Now, I won't go into to Esau, uh, but it's safe to say he uh, still quite hasn't got it uh, in verses 6 to 9. Um, he still has much to learn, but yet there is hope even for Esau. We see, uh, we'll see later on that his uh, story does have a happy ending, uh, if you want to turn later to Genesis 33. Um, but looking at Jacob here, Jacob has to learn as well. Uh, and he doesn't learn his lesson immediately. Um, in some sense, he, he got what he wanted, but he was going to learn. Uh, God was going to use his time in exile uh, in another land for his growth. There was going to be difficulty and frustration for him. That was coming for him. Uh, in fact, next week we're going to see um, that he himself is going to be deceived. He's going to get a taste of his own medicine. But once he returns, we'll see that he is no longer the same man that he once was. Because we see that God disciplines those he loves. Uh, the trials and suffering uh, that we encounter, that can actually be that can be really God's kindness to us. Uh, imagine if Jacob, imagine if he'd never experienced the hardship of going to another land. He would have just remained, you know, a little cheat forever. But God loves his people too much to leave us where we are. And we get a reminder here in Hebrews 12 of this. uh, From Hebrews 12 verse 10, it says, God disciplines us for our own good, in order that we may share in his holiness. Now, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So the consequences of our actions can actually be God's grace to grow us, to teach us to flee from sin, to teach us to repent. And even when we are suffering for reasons we do not know why, that is a chance for growth as well. Uh, I know my own knee-jerk reaction uh, is to ask for my immediate deliverance, uh, and that's not wrong. Um, we should see that sometimes when we're going through hard times and hard experiences, uh, that we need to be turning to God, and that's a chance for us to grow in our holiness. And so finally we come and we, we see, I think, very clearly God's amazing grace. Uh, we see in, in, G, uh, in Genesis um, 28, so from 10 to 22, uh, we see that Jacob, he, he's kind of, he's in a bit of a bad place. He's given up everything in one sense, um, family, his home, he has nothing. Uh, he later reminisces the only thing he had was a staff in his hand. And so he's traveling uh, and alone to in a foreign land and all he has is a rock for a pillow Um, And we might think that Jacob, uh, all by himself, has hit rock bottom. But what we see at this incident in Bethel is that Jacob really has everything. He is not alone, for God himself is with him. Now, God appears to Jacob in a dream in a pretty remarkable way. Uh, Jacob sees a ladder or a staircase reaching up all the way to heaven, and there are angels uh, ascending and descending up and down it. And this staircase it's highly significant. Uh, Jacob uh, later when he wakes up, he is amazed, uh, as we see in verse seventeen, and anticipates that one day God's presence is going to, to fill the earth. And it's interesting to know that Jesus actually identifies uh, himself as the latter. Uh, he does this in, in John one fifty one. He says, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We probably don't normally think of that Jesus as a ladder. But uh, the point, I think, is that Jesus is the one who unites, uh, reunites heaven and earth as the God-man. He brings us back to God. And so we see finally God's grace to Jacob um, as Jacob confirms the covenant blessing to him. And we see that Jacob has God's favor. Uh, God lists a couple of things. Uh, he lists that uh, Jacob will inherit the land which he's about to leave, that he's going to have numerous descendants, uh, that His offspring will be a blessing to the nations. And we see in verse 15 that he also makes a personal promise, that he will be with him, that he would watch over him, and that he would return him to the land. Now, that must have been a great comfort uh, for Jacob in his current situation. And it's it's an amazing thing, isn't it? That God, who is at the same time absolutely transcendent, he is the holy, almighty creator. And at the same time, he, he is deeply personal. He draws near to people. He makes promises to bless them and to be with them. And we know that this is true for us, ultimately, in Jesus, who, as the risen Lord, has promised um, his disciples. He says, surely I am with you to the very ends of the age. And so we see um, Jacob's response to this grace, and we're told that he's amazed, and he does display faith. He still has much to learn. Uh, He's still a bargain maker. Uh, When you look at his vow in verse 20, he basically, what he does is he lists a whole lot of conditions uh, in his vow and says, you know, if God does all this, then the Lord will be my God. And rather God's saying at this point, all right, Jacob, that's it. You're on your own, mate. Um, no, God actually continues to love Jacob. In fact, he meets all of Jacob's conditions. And I think all of this, 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 um, this situation of God appearing and blessing Jacob, it leads us back to that big question. Why does Jacob get all this? How could God love and bless somebody who is so unlovely? You know, this conniving snake in the grass. Um, surely he deserves the opposite of blessing. Well, that's a question we have to answer ourselves, isn't it? Uh, it can be easy to forget where we came from, especially as we go on in the Christian life. Uh, we might begin at some point to deceive ourselves and think, um, you know, I'm pretty good. I think I've merited you know, something of God's favor uh, along the way. But if you were to have you know, an account of your life uh, written down uh, for all everyone to see and all of your worst actions and thoughts laid bare, uh, I think you'd be pretty uncomfortable. I think I'd be very uncomfortable because it would show that when it comes down to us, none of us are lovely. Rather, we are, we are thoroughly undeserving and we deserve God's judgment. But in Romans 9, uh, we see that Paul is ref- reflecting on Jacob and Esau. He uses it as an illustration of God's grace um, as he elects people to salvation. He says this in Romans 9, uh, from verse 10. Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, uh, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, Rebecca was told, the older will serve the younger. And he concludes with this in verse 16. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. You see, there was nothing inherent in Jacob that made God love him more. He wasn't better than Esau. And the only reason why God loved him, it must have been because of his own grace and mercy, his own gratuitous love. And the only reason why any of us can hope to be saved at all, to hope to be saved to eternal life, is the sovereign grace of God. There is no reason why I should be saved, or why you should be saved, but God's own merciful heart. And this grace comes to meet us in Jesus, doesn't it? Um, Unlike the brothers we have here on display, he is the good brother um, who dies for us uh, in spite of our sin, um, or because of our sin, really. Uh, And he is the fulfillment of all these great promises that we've seen, uh, the promises made to Jacob, and, and he extends his blessing and his inheritance to us, he gives us the forgiveness of sins. He brings us into God's family and he promises us eternal life. Uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, the saved a wretch like me. I think we, they, we have to constantly come back um, to God's grace. And so to conclude, uh, it, is really, it is really good news that we have a God who loves the unlovely. Um, we, we don't get our comeuppance um, because Jesus has paid it for us. And the grace that we see to Jacob is the same undeserved kindness we see in Christ. So there, I guess there, there's no room in the Christian life uh, to boast or feel superior to others. Uh, there's only room to, for, for humility, uh, for thankfulness and praise, um, of, God, praise of God's grace. Um, and we should be seeking uh, all the more to be responding to that grace, to be living um, for the one who has loved us, uh, to be sharing uh, that grace with others. So I'm going to pray now uh, that God would help us to continue to remember his grace. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you treat us uh, not as our sins deserve, um, but that you have loved us through your son Jesus, who paid the full penalty for sin. We pray that we might, we might trust in him uh, we might not rely on our own efforts um, to make ourselves right before you, um, but that we might see that it is only by your good grace, uh, it is only by the, your love, the unlovely, uh, that we can be reconciled uh, to you. And Lord, we pray that we would not forget this grace, uh, but we would continue to, uh, to dwell in it, uh, that you, by your Spirit, would be working in us. Um, not to leave us as we are, but that you would grow us and discipline us uh, and and move us towards holiness um, so that we might be your people. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.